0: Hope is hard to come by these days. Mental health in the US plummeted when the pandemic hit and between inflation, war, mass shootings, and a whole host of other things, it can be hard to find happiness in things, whether they be large or small. Maybe you find comfort escaping in a book or hanging out with friends, or maybe you find comfort in the idea that maybe there's something bigger than you out there that's watching out for you. If the latter's the case, you might go to church to learn about God. Well, if you're one of roughly 45,000 or so members of the Lakewood Church in Houston, that means the person you'll be learning from is the famous televangelist, Joel Osteen. For those who claim to love him, they say it's because he's charismatic and his message is all about hope. Osteen and his wife even host live events called Night of Hope, packing stadiums full of tens of thousands of people. Joel Osteen. If you wanna be inspired and uplifted, then join me for an exciting television event. A night of the Lakewood megachurch itself Joel was once a sports stadium before Joel Osteen Ministries bought it in 2003. For years now, Joel's audience has grown to the point of having a global reach. If you ask him himself how he's done it, he'll admit that he isn't really preaching about a religion, but about real world troubles and how to live a good life. deal with health issues and relationship issues, financial issues, I try to speak to that. I'm not really talking about religion, I'm talking about a relationship with God. I'm also talking about how to live a great life. It's our core message that God's for you. He's got a good plan for your life that you can let go of the past, you can overcome an addiction, you can have great relationships. It's a message of hope, living a life of faith and being happy about where you are, Joel says in an interview. And Joel's not wrong as that's truly what his message is about. I watched one of his sermons from earlier this year called Choose to be Happy. And in it, Joel is really more of a motivational speaker than a preacher, or at least by my definition and opinion. It's almost strange to watch someone that claims to be a Christian preacher say that they don't wanna be religious. Like you're the head of a church, isn't being religious kind of part of the gig? Well, apparently not for Osteen and not for quite a few televangelists actually. This motivational style of speaking is something that I've heard before, even if I'm not sure that it's ever sounded so generic. Throughout the sermon, Joel said that you should wake up with the attitude of being happy in a dozen different ways. Think happy thoughts, he insists. Don't happy, dwell on the negative. You have to be happy on purpose because there will be people, betrayals, delays, Maybe I'm jaded, but to me, this just kind of sounds like things. a motivational Pinterest quote being recited on loop for a half an hour. Like if this helps you, that's absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But to me, it's just really hollow. However, Osteen's characterization as a motivational speaker with a religious bent does seem intentional. It makes him seem more accessible. It means that his message is less likely to offend and that he can draw in larger crowds. After all, who doesn't wanna hear that everything is just going to get better? Who doesn't want to have a motivational speaker tell you that God has a plan for you every single week? God, why is this to me? No, God, I know you've got me in the palm of your hand. I know you're directing my steps. Lord, I may not Without a doubt, there is something reassuring about that to a lot of folks. Success argues that this is by design. He doesn't say Satan or evil, but instead says things like the enemy so that his audience can attribute their struggle no matter what it is to this enemy role. He also intentionally avoids saying hell or sin whenever possible. Osteen would have his audience believe that he was simply thrown into this role and is still figuring it out. His parents, John and Dodie, started Lakewood in the 1950s and 30 years later, Joel told his parents that he wanted to start to broadcast the sermons on television. Their audience grew despite Joel's father being a bit more traditional and Joel learned just about everything there was to know from the lighting, the sound, and behind the scenes work of televangelism. "'Daddy, I'm not a preacher. "'You preach and I'll make you look good,' is how Joel put it." Then in 1999, his father became ill and Joel agreed to take over for him one Sunday. That one week turned into having to take over completely as his father unfortunately passed away. Joel states, I did my best. I didn't know what I was doing. Heck, I barely do now. But is that entirely true? Joel is heavily involved with pre-production in his shows and he knows how important production value is to the people that watch at home. He tells success how important preparation, lighting, and sound are, and he purposefully avoids words that might alienate someone. So is he actually a motivational speaker flying by the seat of his pants, or is he more intentional, and perhaps even sinister, underneath? I can't believe, number one, that I'm a minister, because I didn't think this was in me, and two, that all these people come, or that these seats will be filled. Why don't you believe that God knows what he's doing? I know you're directing my steps. Lord, I may not understand it, but I trust you. Hello everyone, and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're talking about Joel Osteen. Now, his attempt at being inoffensive at all costs has meant that Osteen doesn't seem to stand for, well, much of anything. I understand wanting to be accessible or neutral, Some people don't wanna stir the pot and that's just fine. But at the same time, when a blatant injustice is being done, it's important to call that out and speak up for what's right, especially when you have a large audience looking to you for guidance. Osteen, however, doesn't seem to get this message at all. And allow me to go on a bit of a rant for a moment to explain. Now, many of you may remember that in 2017, a Unite the Right rally took place in Charlottesville. It had been organized by a pro-white activist to protest the planned removal of a Confederate statue. The white nationalists were chanting things like, white lives matter, Jews will not replace us and blood and soil. Violence broke out and neo-Nazi James Fields Jr. drove his car into a group of people, killing Heather Hare and injuring 19 others. This was a despicable, condemnable act, yet not everyone was so quick to denounce it. Trump infamously said that there has been violence on both sides at the time, whereas others said it was domestic terrorism and should be addressed as such. And violence on many sides. Many Christian leaders did speak up to condemn this and white supremacism as a whole. According to The Atlantic, many people within the church are frustrated with what they see as passivity in the face of bigotry. In the same way that Muslims are often expected to take responsibility for those on their fringes who commit violent acts of terrorism, people demanded that white Christians account for the violent racists who claim to share their faith. I can wholeheartedly understand this sentiment. If you're a Christian leader, then it's part of your duty to teach that white supremacy is not what Christianity is. The head of the political arm of the Southern Baptist Convention tweeted, the so-called alt-right white supremacist ideologies are anti-Christ and satanic to the core, and other megachurch pastors joined him. Some of these pastors agreed that these acts are in fact evil and were not afraid to call it out as such. But Joel Osteen doesn't use the word evil, remember? Well, here is, and I quote, Joel Osteen's Facebook post response to this event. "'One of the biggest challenges we all face is getting along with people because everyone is different. We have different personalities, different temperaments. We come from different backgrounds. When somebody doesn't agree with us or not doing what we like, it's easy to get in conflict with them, to argue, to try to straighten them out, to prove our point. No, you have to be the bigger person. Just because they're doing wrong doesn't mean you have to engage." And this is just hard to put into words because not only was Joel delayed in making any kind of statement, but this was all he had to say. I feel pretty confident that I could end the episode here because I feel like this alone is enough of a reason to stop supporting someone when they can't even call out plain and simple white supremacy to their audience. And from what I've seen, this is where the remark ends. I've yet to see any apology or addition to this statement. The reason why I absolutely loathe this statement is because even if Joel didn't want to alienate or hurt anyone by being this passive, that's exactly what he's done. He's standing by and effectively telling white supremacists that in his book, they just have a different personality. It diminishes the horrific acts and it minimizes the death and destruction that occurs by white supremacist hands, white supremacists who claim to share your faith, Osteen. I couldn't agree more with the comment that's currently at the top that drips with sarcasm. So glad nobody engaged Hitler back in World War II or the Confederacy when they tore apart our country to keep humans enslaved. Now, make no mistake. What happened at Charlottesville was a hateful, evil act, but Osteen won't stand up against it. He doesn't even use the word evil. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. And when you're the leader of a faith-based organization, you need to stand for something. So you've got two options here, grow a fucking spine and stand for something or stop filing as a church and religious organization and just file as a motivational speaker seminar instead. But anyway, While this is probably one of the things I find most upsetting about Osteen, as it turns out, I'm not alone in that. His attempts at being inoffensive have been offensive to Christians at times too. Back in 2005, Osteen made an appearance on Larry King and stated that he didn't know if Muslims and atheists or people of other faiths were going to heaven. A caller called him out on this and told him that, the Bible says the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And if he were really a Christian, shouldn't he believe that too? Once again, Osteen gave a little bit of a wishy-washy approach to this and said that only God can judge a person's heart. Not long after this, Osteen did make an apology on his church's website, insisting that he never intended to sow doubt among his followers and quoted scripture, insisting that yes, he agreed that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The Christian Post seemed upset by this and has written that Osteen denies preaching a watered down version of the gospel, despite refusing to talk about sin, hell and things of that nature. But. Is that really so bad? Well, to me, this comes across like Osteen is saying one thing in public and then another in private. That's not to say that his church's website is private, but it comes across as hypocritical. Like he's so determined not to offend anyone on Larry King that he won't take a firm stance on anything, but then if someone's upset, he backpedals. It's just, it's strange. It's a weird position to take. On the one hand, it could be because Jewel really does want to talk about God's love and nothing more. Maybe that's how he believes he can help people. On the other hand, given how he's watered down pure racism and hatred to nothing but someone being different, I'm a little less inclined to give Osteen the benefit of the doubt. In my personal opinion, I think he has another motivator, money. In addition to preaching in a motivational style, Osteen also preaches the prosperity gospel. Now, I've spoken a fair bit about the prosperity gospel here before, but let's break it down briefly for those of you who may not be familiar with the concept. The prosperity gospel, also known as the health and wealth gospel or the word of faith movement, is a concept that if you just believe in God hard enough and have enough faith in him, you'll be rewarded with health and wealth. This ideology has gained a massive following through televangelism and Oral Roberts, a father of the movement who oversaw a ministry that brought in $110 million in annual revenue at the height of his influence. The Gospel Coalition argues that preachers who support the prosperity gospel will often have an absence of scripture, tensions, and serious doctrines within their teaching. Now, there are individuals and articles that call out Osteen's teaching for being anti-gospel, twisting the Bible to suit his narrative and things of that nature. I'm not gonna argue for or against how you view his interpretation of the Bible and your beliefs surrounding that are up to you. Instead, I want to focus on his objectively wrong teachings, like when Osteen tells his followers that prayer and faith can essentially make them rich. Osteen wrote in his book, Next Level Thinking, quote, If you do your part, God will do his. He will promote you. He'll give you an increase." Another strange message he promotes is that you should attempt to be around more wealthy people, like saying misery loves company, but in reverse, like if you hang around money, it loves company too, I guess. Joel has told his congregation, quote, "'If you're struggling in your finances, "'get around blessed people, generous people, "'people who are well off.'" Osteen does quote scripture as well when he tells his congregation that if they tithe and give offerings, God will pour out a blessing for them, a blessing so powerful that they won't have room to receive all the good things God has in store. Things like promotions, raises, people who don't like them being nice to them suddenly, superpowers, good things happening to them. Okay, I'm kind of kidding about the superpowers, but on a serious note, Osteen won't demand money from you. Instead, he's playing a carefully crafted game of if you give to God, you'll be blessed, making these carefully worded promises to these congregation members. Whether or not all of them listen, I've got no idea, but enough do that Osteen's church brought in $89 million in 2017. Over 90% of that was from church followers. And while some of his members tithe, Osteen's church certainly doesn't. It only spent a measly $1.2 million on charitable causes. How is it that members are told to give whatever they can to God and they'll be rewarded, but the church hoards that wealth? Don't they want to be rewarded by God too? There's been a fair bit of speculation as to where this money goes as well. Osteen used to have a $200,000 salary, which feels excessive, but all right, but he allegedly stopped taking that. Why would he need to when he makes around $70 million between book sales, speaking fees, and his radio show? Of course, the numbers vary depending on what source you go to, and there's not a lot of reputable sources to report on Osteen's wealth. The most recent number that I found estimates that he has around $100 million to his name. And despite all this wealth, he still heavily relied on his congregation to pay for renovations to the church, reminding them that this would be a gift in addition to their tithing, a $105 million renovation, by the way. Some insist that this isn't just excessive, but it's wrong for Osteen to use church money to promote his books. Ultimately, whatever you know he writes a book about and he has multiple bestsellers out, that money goes directly into his pocket. So using nonprofit, non-tax congregation money to support his for-profit endeavors doesn't seem ethical to me. Unless the money from his books is going back to the church or towards a charity, this doesn't feel right. I wish I could say more about it and know exactly what those percentages are, but as churches don't have to file this info the same way a for-profit business does, I can't really know for sure what these numbers are. Insider has speculated on what may or may not be true as to Osteen's taxes, writing that, though the claims Osteen owns a Ferrari were debunked and debated, he does have to pay taxes on his book income. He and his wife also paid $247,000 in property taxes in 2017 and their home is worth roughly $12 million. Osteen has insisted that there's nothing wrong with being wealthy so long as you put God first. Yet in an interview with Oprah, where he reiterates there's nothing wrong with wealth, he says that he's actively trying to be the opposite of a negatively stereotyped televangelist, slick and after people's money. Now, if you're trying so hard to prove that you're not after people's money, why have a $12 million mansion? Like, just curious. We don't ask for money and people send in millions of dollars to help us keep the broadcast on air," he told Oprah, adding that, we're big givers. And he is right by technicality. He doesn't downright ask for money, but by preaching the prosperity gospel, he is implying that God will bless his congregation's lives if they bless God by opening their wallets. And I know there are some naysayers out here. They're going, but Blair, $1.2 million is a lot to give to charity. And you're right, it is but it dwarfs in comparison to what the church actually earns. Some sources even place their budget for weekly services at $31.7 million. Night of Hope events are 6.7 million. Administrative is 11.5 million. So is the priority really helping others here? Because those numbers don't really seem in line with each other when you compare it to what the church is actually donating. Well, let's take a look at one of Osteen's most controversial moments to see just how much help his church actually offers. And before we jump into that controversy, let's just take a quick moment to thank today's sponsors. You know what's really great about having your own business? It's being able to do things on your own time, being able to organize things the way you want. But the downside of it is sometimes some of the processes and things you have to do are a little bit cathartic. One of those things is how shipping labels are actually created. Shipping labels can be an absolute pain in the tuckus to get them printed, find the best rate, search for the best carrier, all to make sure that your order is gonna be securely sent to your customer. But ShipStation is giving e-commerce sellers an easier way to manage shipping. That way you can take all the energy that goes into managing orders, choosing carriers and printing labels and use it to grow your business. It's no wonder that ShipStation is already trusted by over 100,000 sellers. It gives me time to focus on crafting new scents for candles instead of focusing on which carrier is gonna be the best rate for this day and this time and this many days till delivery. And ShipStation works with all your storefronts, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, and more. And it lets you automate processes like fulfillment and tracking so you can save time managing orders while keeping customers happy. ShipStation isn't magic, but it will make your shipping stress disappear. Sign up using promo code CASKET for a free 60 day trial today at ShipStation.com and start breathing easier with every shipment. That's two whole months of stress-free shipping and it's free to try. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in CASKET. ShipStation, make ship happen. Now, after you've saved all that time on shipping, you're actually gonna have time to create some delicious meals. So, when your weekdays and nights are jam packed, every plate will help you get delicious meals on the table without breaking the bank. Every plate delivers simple, stress free recipes that come together in just six steps and are ready in around 30 minutes or even less than that. And every plate offers something for everybody. You can choose options from the menu, including classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate, so you can try whatever you want without committing to one preference. You can choose between 18 recipes that rotate every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want it. So, if you've been interested in trying a meal kit but think it might be a bit expensive, now is the time to try the deliciousness at a much lower price by trying every plate. So to get your first box for just $1.49 per meal, go to everyplate.com and enter code CASKET149. Again, get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal on your first box by going to everyplate.com and entering code CASKET149 headquarters in New York, and we are coming on the air for breaking news. Hurricane Harvey barreling into the Texas coastline as a Category 4 storm- Back in 2017, Hurricane Harvey devastated tens of thousands of folks in Texas and Louisiana. Lakewood Church, which is based in Houston, seemed poised to help as it had a whopping 16,000 seats in its arena. Yet, this megachurch seemed far from eager to offer aid, even though other churches in the area, like the Islamic Society for Greater Houston, were opening their doors. The hurricane hit on Friday and according to The Guardian, that weekend people were leaping to help and even mattress shops opened their doors to become shelters. But Lakewood didn't begin operating as a large scale shelter until the following Tuesday. Andy Ozwa told The Guardian, quote, "'A church like this with this mode of preaching, it's supposed to be one of the first to open.' When they did finally open, he stated, "'This is just a last resort, they've got to. Normally they're supposed to know what to do. This is what I'm saying about humanity. You don't need to be pressurized to do something." It did seem like Osteen and his church just caved and opened as a shelter because they needed to, and because of the backlash and criticism they were receiving. People tweeted that Joel Osteen won't open his church that holds 16,000 to hurricane victims because it only provides shelter from taxes, and others called him a prosperity gospel peddler. When Lakewood finally did open, by the way, Osteen insisted that the reason they had waited so long was because they had a flooding problem of their own. There are some photos of the church that seem to confirm this, but on the other hand, church spokesman Don Eloff contradicts this and told the Washington Post, quote, "'This is crazy. People are saying we've locked the church. The church has been open from the beginning, but it's not designated as a shelter.' Well, which is it then? Was the church open from the start or was it delayed in opening because of supposed flooding? It certainly doesn't help Osteen's case that other pictures on social media showed the loading docks and parking lot areas at his megachurch not flooded at all, suggesting that the church absolutely could have taken people in sooner. Others stated that Osteen could have taken people into his $10 million home, as he'd certainly have the space to help people out, but he tweeted about offering prayers instead. Imagine surviving through a difficult hurricane, being uprooted, and then the leader of a closed doors megachurch tells you they're just offering their prayers. Are you insulted yet? Good, because it gets worse. In the aftermath of this very public controversy, Osteen wanted to move on. He claimed to be a victim of misinformation. Just a few weeks after the storm though, Osteen preached what must have been the most tone deaf and insulting message to his congregation, to not have a poor old me mentality when bad things happen. When everything is good, why don't you trust him in the trouble? Why don't you believe that even though you don't understand it, that he's directing your steps? You don't have to live frustrated because you had a bad break. That trouble means you're headed somewhere. You're on the way to your- And I'm sure that's very easy for Osteen to say in his $12 million home. But when thousands of people suffered through the storm, it did come across as insensitive to say the least. As he did discuss the church's handling of Hurricane Harvey at the time, he insisted that he was just being precautious. It's not as if this message had a terrible timing either. With Hurricane Harvey still fresh in his mind, Osteen told people to not think poor old me during the midst of their troubles. I can't say I'm surprised, but I'm definitely disappointed. And here's the kicker. You'd think, oh, this is a one-off, like it, it's bad, it's really shitty, but it can't get worse. But you're wrong. Insert 2021. There were some allegations that Lakewood Church did the same thing just last year in 2021 when Texas faced that winter storm and freezing temperatures. However. News sources such as Reuters claim that these allegations were false and the Lakewood church was designated as a warming shelter for those in need. It does seem like Osteen and Lakewood learned a little bit about opening their doors from Hurricane Harvey. Still, when things like this happen, it's hard to know if he changed because he wanted to be more ready to help the community or if it's because Lakewood didn't want to find itself in the center of another controversy. Unfortunately, the attitude around natural disasters isn't the only thing that has made people wonder if Lakewood really gives a fuck about other people. Pardon my French. In late 2020, it received $4.4 million from COVID-19 federal aid. You know, the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP. The thing is, Osteen is a televangelist. He already has the means to just broadcast his sermon far and wide and still reach anyone that wants to hear his message. If any church was going to receive this money, in my opinion, it should have been small churches that are genuinely struggling and could potentially use the funds to get equipment they need in order to keep in touch with their congregation. But what makes this all the worse is that Lakewood officials said that they hadn't applied for this loan in the first place. The same spokesperson we heard from a moment ago, David Eloff, told the press, believing the shutdown would only last a few weeks, Lakewood did not initially apply for PPP assistance during the first half of the program. However, as the shutdown persisted month after month, given the economic uncertainty, Lakewood finally applied for the PPP loan and has been able to provide full salaries and benefits, including health insurance coverage for all its employees and their families. And I just find it so freaking hard that Lakewood would have been unable to do this without a PPP loan. Have they so poorly managed their money that they just didn't have any of that money lying around with an annual like $90 million left over? Like I just, Maybe it's just me, it doesn't add up to me. Like, wow, you make $90 million a year, yet you couldn't pay your employees' salaries? I I just, it's weird to me. Is much of this just Lakewood being one of the worst financial planners I've ever seen? I don't know. But regardless, it's pretty convenient that Lakewood suddenly decided they could afford to pay back the loan once they received criticism. I do want to mention that no, Osteen and Lakewood weren't alone in this. Other megachurches applied for these loans too. While you might say that this is disgusting, others claim that this was simply inevitable. Some articles wrote that even through the potential for government audits that was supposed to curb the abuse, the Trump administration's favor for these churches was quite apparent. Of course, while some call it favor, others may call it downright corruption. The Freedom From Religion Foundation released the audio of two phone calls between religious leaders and the White House. In it, these officials secretly worked to give church leaders special access to PPP, ensuring they could receive top dollars from US taxpayers. I highly recommend that you check out the FFRF article and phone calls if you feel like banging your head against the wall for a couple hours, because that's what I did. Now, the thing is, as much as I dislike Osteen for taking advantage of this corrupt system, I will admit that seeing this evidence from FFRF makes it seem like a case of don't hate the player, hate the game. What I really dislike more than Osteen and Lakewood and any other televangelist church are the laws that we have surrounding televangelism and the special treatment these megachurches receive. Into action immediately. This is a massive proactive and protective plan for the nation and I, I really am asking you to share it with your congregations and networks and use your voices to encourage its adoption. Please spread this word far and wide. And now, there have been a page. few other controversies around Osteen and Lakewood, some of which have been pretty minor, at least in my opinion. For instance, when Osteen's son graduated from the University of Texas, they posed doing a hook'em horn sign or a longhorn football hand signal. And that made people say that he was putting on devil horns, which I think is kind of stupid, but you know, hey, people like to be, you know, upset. In another more serious incident, a church representative allegedly grabbed a child safety seat with an 18 month girl in it and threw the seat off of a church pew. The representative fled the scene after the child landed face first on the floor, suffering bodily injury. And the case was supposedly settled for $15,000. I don't blame Osteen or the church itself as there's not a lot of information here. So I don't know if this was malicious, an accident, due to a lack of training or anything of that nature. Although I don't know how you could train that level of common sense into someone if it wasn't already there. Maybe that's mean of me to say, but I just, like, I know people don't like it when I bring up that i don't like children, but like, it's not hard as someone who doesn't like children and doesn't want them to be like, hey, wow, that's like an 18 month old baby. You know what I shouldn't do? Fucking chuck it across a floor. Like, I, I don't know why that's not common sense, but I digress. Now, the reason people seem to have so many mixed feelings about Osteen isn't for any one particular instance though. Instead, it seems to be what he stands for. An Inc contributor wrote that even though Osteen has chosen to be a man of God and speak Jesus's gospel, he doesn't live a life that Jesus would choose. Yet this writer also defends Osteen, claiming that those that criticize him may be envious and malicious themselves. Maybe that's true for some, but I believe there's a lot of legitimate reasons to disagree with him. And for the record, he seems like you could have a cup of coffee with him and he might be a decent dude. But even if he's decent, the organization he runs seems to have some not great values and I think that's worth criticizing. Now, as we've seen, some Christians disagree with Osteen because of the way he treats scripture as a watered down gospel or like a cotton candy version. Others, whether inside or outside the faith, don't like his take on the actual devil or actual evil, calling it different instead of, you know, white supremacist violence, or whatever the bad thing might be. Or maybe you dislike him because of his hypocritical wealth. That's where most of my critique lies, honestly. Taking tithes while his own church doesn't do the same. But I'm curious what you think. How do you feel about Joel Osteen? And with that being said, that is where we're gonna end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I really appreciate you tuning in with me today. And as always, I'll see you in the next one. Take care.